Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Surprise! Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were gonna be friends to the end. And now... It's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called Hide the Soul. And guess what? You're it. From a Playland fire in sweet home Chicago to a coming of rage in Hackenslash, New Jersey, we are Halloweenies. Welcome yet again to an episode of Halloweenies, a horror franchise podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber. And folks, the requests and demands were so great, we decided to come back once more for our second episode of our new series called Now Showing, in which your Halloweenies and guests discuss what's happening in the here and now outside of the horror franchises we're covering, offering up our takes on the most recent movie releases, and in addition, also taking a look back at the past with fresh eyes, and each of us will discuss a film we've recently seen for the very first time. We're talking movies from last year, dating all the way back to, you know, 1906. Will we get there? Hey, if, if there's constant demand for this, this series, of course, we will get there. We will eventually get to Nosferatu, I promise. I think that was the, the odds. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that in a couple of years. But first up, joining me. Is a Halloweeny who's making his first appearance on this newish series. So, uh, Mac, please introduce yourself. And you know what? What are your go-tos, Mac? Let's pretend like we've never been to a movie together in our 30-plus years of knowing each other. What are your go-tos when you go to the concession stand at the movies? Hey, everybody. This is Wolfman Mac. Uh, I, I have to say my go-tos are if they've got red vines. Mm. Red vines. I also like the Coke slushies. I like to drink the Coke slushies through a red vine while also eating the red vines. Yes, they hold up for the most part. And then I used, you know, but back in the day, I used to just um, eat milk duds exclusively. Mm. But my teeth, milk duds, I feel as like an old milk man, duds would always melt no matter what the condition of the theater was. I feel like they were always melting <laughs> and my hands would get sticky. I'm just, you know, I was out on the milk duds too early in my well, life. Well, they were originally called the stuff. Oh, but yeah. uh, no, no, I, I agree with you, but uh, yeah, I, I, I can't do it anymore. I, every once in a while, I'll, I'll have them, and then you know, I have to see the dentist immediately uh, afterwards. But yeah, those, <laughs> those are, those are pretty much my go-to's. I it's still, it's still my go-to's. I, I, you know, basically licorice and, and like a, an icy, like a large icy, mm, which always yeah. seems to fluctuate at, at theaters. I don't understand why they don't just have the same sizes every time. Well, I feel like most of the time that I go to the movies, now I'm going to the, the music box theater here in Chicago, no free plugs, but there's no icy machine, you know? So I'm just here getting water or whatever alcoholic beverage sure. they have. 
I'm getting some buttered popcorn. You know, I like to put a little butter in the middle and fill up the rest. And then get some of the, the old peanut butter M&Ms, which I don't get anywhere else but that one theater. I'm not like craving it. But when I'm there, let's do it. Let's do this right. And if the movie's three hours long, I'll probably get one little, maybe I'll get some Twizzlers on top of that, you know. this It all really depends on how long the movie is and whether or not I want to risk having to use the restroom at some point, you know. But, always uh, a risk. We always like to talk about restrooms and bathrooms and our habits there early on in the pod. So I'm happy we got it out of the way. Joining us for the first time in general on any Halloweenies episode is a very special guest. And please introduce yourself. Hello, hello. It is Devon Taylor at underscore Day Disco on Twitter and Instagram, which is very apropos for one of the movies that we're talking about today. Uh, host of uh, the Spectre Cinema Club podcast, rotating panelist on Pod and Pendulum. And uh, for my concessions, so I know that you guys are big on, you know, concessions is where the movie theaters make their money. I cannot bring myself to buy candy at the concession store. I'm sorry. It's it's just too much. So I always get my soda at the theater. I will I will get my soda, uh, root beer, cream soda if they have it. Ooh, but uh, but I'm yeah. but I'm sneaking in candy. The the candy's coming in my pockets, unfortunately. So, now, so is, it, is it candy? No, we didn't that, say, yeah. yeah, we didn't say where we were getting our candy. <laughs> oh, no, well, no, you no, said concession true. stand. Yeah, you said no, concession I, That's true. Stand. For legal purposes, maybe I said that. But Matt, go <laughs> so, ahead. You, I think so you I wanted to ask. Yeah, is this a situation where it's like this theater has a monopolization on candy? So I'm going to bring in candy that they sell at the theater, but I'm just bringing it in for, at a far cheaper price point. And uh, as like a, a, a screw you to the, to the theaters, or is this candy you cannot find in theaters? Uh, no, I mean, it's mainly just, I don't like that. I'm not, I can't pay $5 for a bag of gummy <laughs> bears at the theaters. I can't bring myself to do it, but I will get a hot dog. Uh, I'll sometimes get a hot dog, but uh, I'm bringing in my candy and I'm a, I'm a gummy guy. I love my gummy bears and peach yeah. rings. Also, uh, I love red vines and Twizzlers. I like both. Uh, I'm on both sides of the Yeah, I, I do like both. Yeah. You know what I really like? Maybe even love Sour Patch Watermelon Kids. That stuff. I love it. That's That you know, might be my favorite. But you can only the, get that at certain theaters, too. I like the know? strawberry ones of the, of the that, Sour Yeah, Patch. I've seen those right now. Those, are, really those are out there, too. Yeah, those are out there, too. The watermelon the ones are, are, aren't Support quite your sour local movie theater, folks. Uh, I think it's very <laughs> important. <laughs> I, w- I would never sneak anything into Music Box Theater. Other places, no, beware. No. I, I would, I would, I would give the Music Box the the respect she deserves because that's a that's a gorgeous theater. I fucking love that place. I, I can imagine yeah. you going there with your pockets out and being like, "Look, check it out," because I love you so much. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> just, they're just trying to like r- right push now. you along. Like, yeah, 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 go, go. I pay, <laughs> I go in there. Thanks a I lot. I pay my, I pay my tithes to the ghost of the Music Box Theater. <laughs> and there is a ghost. We've been there several times for late night showings and there's definitely a ghost there folks check it out if you come to chicago we're really plugging the hell of the music box theater but no shame it's brought me so much joy it's brought so many of us so much joy please come to the music box theater all right so once again here are those here are the uh, ground rules if you want to call them rules we're going to go around and each of us is going to bring up a movie and first we're going to talk about a movie from 2023 and some of you at home might, may hear a couple of these movies and say oh that came out at fantastic fest or that came out at south by listen a hundred people saw those movies. I'm, we're talking about when they were the major release took place, and I assure you that the three movies we're talking about were officially released to the general public. Not you, privileged people. Even though I'm giving you the normie those. dates, okay? Yes, the normie okay. dates, the March dates, the dumpuary dates. All right, this is what's happening here. So I'm going to kick things off. 
I went with a little independent film by a, a writer director. And his name is M. Night Shyamalan. And the movie is Knock at the Cabin. This is now, of course, this is adapted from the Paul Tremblay novel, which I think is a knock at the cabin. No, it's um, a cabin, cabin at, the, end, at of the, the end of the world. That's right. That's right. That's what it is, which I have not read. Uh, this is starring Dave Bautista, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, Nikki Amuka Bird, for all you uh, Luther heads out there, uh, Kristen Kui, Abby Quinn, Rupert Grint showing up in this movie. And I was thinking, why is he in this? And I thought, oh, yeah. He's in that Apple TV show that M. Night does. Mm-hmm. What's it called again? Yeah, Servant. Servant, that's right. And he's a servant to something in this movie. Let me give you the general breakdown. It's while vacationing at a remote cabin in the woods, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand they make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Confused, scared, and with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. So let me ask the two of you this question right off the bat. Have either of you seen this film? Yes. Okay, yes. so both of you have seen it. Mac, have you seen oh, it? No, I have not seen okay, it. Well, okay, right, right. it. well, here's the thing. Now, is this spoilerific? No, we're, oh, I should also mention this. We're not. We're, we're going to be keeping major spoilers to a real minimum here. Okay. okay. Some things, it's going to be hard to keep secret, as it were. But we're, we'll keep things relatively light. We want well, everybody to listen to this episode. With the 2023 stuff, right? Like, but if you're covering, like, yeah, Sparati, you know, right? if we're covering like some of these movies we're gonna be covering from the past, we we'll play it by ear. I'll put it that way. We'll play it by ear. <laughs> okay. But I just want to say I didn't love Knock at the Cabin, but I still thought it was his best movie since Science. And I, I always, but here's the thing: despite my on-off relationship, namely off the last twenty years or so with with M Night Shyamalan, I I always go back to him. Because I remember watching the opening credits to Signs in theaters, and th- and when that music kicks in during the opening credits, and thinking, "Oh my God, this is this is our Hitchcock." And in hindsight, it's a, it's a stupid take because it's you know, come on, like <laughs> the the pressure that you'd be putting on a new filmmaker is absurd. You know, it's it's gonna be very hard for anybody to live up to that. But at the end of the day, I have still always loved the look of his movies and the direction of his movies. I think he's got an incredible eye. I've just been off on a lot of his stories and the way that those unfold in his movies. You know, I'm talking about the ending of the village, the happening lady in the water, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Like they just really put me off. But with this one, I was just kind of in it all the way through, Mac, and, and especially because you haven't seen it. So I'm very, I'd be very curious to see what your take is going to be on this. But Devon, what did you think of this movie? And, and where do you stand on his career overall? Uh, so we actually did a whole month on M. Night Shyamalan films mm. on our podcast uh, in February when this movie came out. Nice. And uh, I've always been a big fan. I always mm-hmm. admire him, even if the movie doesn't work entirely for me i always respect the ambition the yeah. uh, creativeness that he comes from like you know i call him the sham hammer because the man takes <laughs> swings he swings that's what he does he does and and so i always love that and so coming in uh this ended up being kind of one of my least favorite of his films mm. i will talk up pretty much most of them and uh, and i did a rewatch of a good amount of them in february so i really kind of got to reassess how i feel about him as a filmmaker and naka cabin just did the one thing that M. Night has never done, ever, is bore me. 
Interesting. Uh, I was, interesting. I, uh, All right. I, Unfortunately, you're going to say it didn't have a twist ending. <laughs> no, no. See, because we, 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 we talk a lot about his legacy throughout those episodes in the month as well, like uh, the comparisons they got to Spielberg after The Sixth Sense and mm-hmm. that kind of pressure that put. And then uh, this reputation of him being the twist guy when really only like three of his movies actually have twists. He's not really the twist guy. Uh, that has been kind of what his reputation has been known just because of what he's done for the twist in a movie. Mm-hmm. But so knock at the cabin, uh, he kind of played it very safe, you know, not to spoil anything, but from I didn't read the book, but I did read like what changes were made. And he kind of uh, sanitized the movie down quite a bit, which was surprising. You know, I kind of huh. uh, thought he would go for a closer to the accurate ending. But there's a kind of a change in the way he approaches family subjects in these later movies versus his earlier movies, like before he had kids. I think there is kind of a stark difference in the way he uh, approached storytelling with uh, familiar themes uh, in it. But uh, yeah, Naka Cabin had a, some you know really great camera work, really great score. Batista's great. Most of the performances are pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just uh, kind of left me wanting. And every time I was like, come on, you usually zag here. And he, he just didn't, you know. So I was uh, left, uh, left very underwhelmed by Naka the Cabin. Yeah, well, I think I, I'll ask Mac. You haven't read you haven't read the book, right? The, no, the Tremblay novel. No, no, no. Okay, go. Did you have a question though? Well, I, I was going to start watching this last night because I did. I, it is one of the movies that we were going to talk about today that I was genuinely like, oh, you know, it's sitting right there. Why, why haven't I watched this movie yet? Peacock. And I guess I was intrigued because he wrote the screenplay, right? He adapted the screenplay. He adapted it with two or, other writers, yeah. Steve Desmond and Michael Sherman. I guess. And I guess. Because I'm with you, like I, I love him as a director. And so I was kind of like, oh, well, if he's doing someone else's story, this maybe this would be, you know, really interesting to see like him outside of that realm. Yeah, I just haven't gotten to it yet. However, my question was this. You both talked about him changing after having children and how the movies kind of or the or the plots of the movies or the way that he tackled certain characters might might have changed. And I, and then we also talked about that a bit with Spielberg and how he looks back at like, you know, Close Encounters and is like, well, I wouldn't quite, maybe I wouldn't have the father just leave the whole family at the end of the movie. Do you think that that's a good or bad thing? I mean, I'm sure it could be both, but when it comes to horror. I mean, I don't think you can really say a good or a bad thing. It's just kind of a, a natural progression, you know, like yeah. you know, people age and like it's going to change certain aspects about you. And so I think it could be good. I mean, at least for M. Night, like specifically, I would say old, he, you know, is kind of a similar thing. He was adapting a, a graphic novel and he made changes mm-hmm. to it, but he really shook it up. And that movie is a hot mess. Uh, I get why <laughs> a lot of people don't love it, but... It's a hot mess that he at least was trying a lot of things in, and he still kind of has his hopeful ending that he kind of gives more in these later films than he does in his earlier films. Not that uh, his earlier films have like like sad endings, but he feels a little bit more optimistic uh, in his more recent films than than before. I get that, even with something like oh god, what's the uh, the one with Will Smith and his son? After, After Earth. Earth. After Earth. There's even something there, obviously, that's much mm-hmm. more familiar than you would find in his earlier films, for sure. Uh, with the exception of Signs, which actually is fairly family-based. But I think, to answer Max's question, I think it's also just personal. I think that there are people who have had kids and their movies have just been the same as they always as they ever were. It, it really just does depend on 
that person's experience as a parent or not as a parent for that matter and getting older and getting older. And to what you're saying about old Devon, Devon, like that's an example of like the ending there did not land for me with the whole, I I don't want to spoil too much of it. It's relatively recent, but that's an example of something that didn't work for me. And I, I think the, the somewhat lack, the somewhat linear storytelling that really does take place once you start watching the film, knock at the cabin, I mean, I think even the commercial started to spoil some stuff, to be honest with you. But there really aren't a lot of surprises. But to me, what really stood out, and you mentioned this earlier, it's the performance of Dave Bautista. Okay. And my question to both of you in the history of the world, let alone cinema, is Dave Bautista the best wrestler turned actor that we've ever had? We can, I can name some examples, but I mean... I mean, uh, I would say yes. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, as far as, you know, the biggest stars, you know, obviously The Rock is him, but The the Rock isn't a, he doesn't really act. Yeah. He makes movies. Yeah. He doesn't really act all that much. You know, hats off to him. But, uh, you know, <laughs> Batista in, you know, specifically seeking out roles like this because he says, you know, I don't want to be just known as the wrestler turned actor. Like, mm-hmm. I want to be known as an actor and I want to really show that I have range that I'm not just, I don't have to be just the big tough guy all the time. And I really love that. Like, I think that was cool here. I think he is, uh, I think he's really great in his literally like 10 minutes in Blade Runner, uh, 2049. Yep. Yeah. I, I think he's absolutely, say that. Yeah. He, he's I, really good. I mean, John Cena is up there, you know, cause he, he has some really great comedic chops and he does act to a degree, but he's, he's still, but as far as actually acting, it's gotta be Batista for me. Yeah, I think, you know, you look at the cool guy like Roddy Piper, obviously, and they live, right? But I mean, I, I don't think Roddy Piper could do, like you said, the Blade Re- the Blade Runner 2049 performance. You know what I mean? And I think there is a difference there. I think that when you look at Batista, he's got great comic timing in the Guardians films, which is where we, a lot of us were introduced to him from. And then you think about he's also Inspector, and he doesn't say a word. And that movie, you want to talk about hot messes, that movie's kind of a hot mess as well. But he's got presence in that film, you know, to kind of go up against James Bond is saying something great in Blade Runner 2049. He's quite in that, but he's like still quite menacing at the end of the day. But this one, he's like a quiet, convincing, like gentle giant. And he shows conflict without overdoing it. And from what I read, there are some changes from the book. I think the book was Mm -hmm. much more, that character is much more manic, but in this, he really just does keep it simple. And I think it works for him at least Mac. Hmm. Yeah. I was trying to think of other wrestlers turn. What, like Sergeant, well, you know, Slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter, of course, from GI Joe, the movie, terrific Andre, the giant princess bride. These are yeah, like fun performances yeah. and in some cases iconic, but I'm not saying, you know, Andre, the giant, here's your Oscar. You know what I mean? Loved him as Fezzik. But, I like to mention that he's, Fezzik, but, you know. he is seeking out like heftier meteor, more substance backed roles. And I like that. I, and I think playing against his type and his size makes you that much more engrossed by him. Like that's why, because it's such a muted performance in 2049 and Blade Runner, it's such a tense scene. And it's just because they're both having this really quiet, calm conversation and uh, it just speaks volumes. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, I have to agree with you, I guess. I mean, I I'm really racked. I'm trying to think of other, wrestlers and actors but um yeah and I, and I agree on the rock thing i mean you know 
he's really fun. I mean, he's, he's you know, having a good time, but I, I don't know if I've seen him in something that really, you know, moved me or, <laughs> or something really serious, you know, like I'm trying to think. I hope they like keep subverting, like playing with his appearance in, uh, in the fact that now between, uh, not a cabin 20 blade runner for 2049, uh, keep giving him the tiniest glasses yes. to wear, <laughs> yeah, uh, right. is, is absolutely hilarious to me. Uh, so I hope they keep that trend going. <laughs> I think in Dune, he's also he's actually wearing glasses so small you can't see them. So I think he gave, <laughs> and we will. See, I'll, I'll keep a closer look on Dune Two as it comes out later on this yeah, year. I think that footage just dropped today, actually. Uh, yeah, it was. It was. I can't wait. Apparently, like I was hoping, and it was confirmed that Dune Part Two is basically just one big war movie, which is what I was looking forward to as a big Dune head. All right, well, let's move on to our next film here, Mac. This is this is all yours. What is it? Well, it's a what's what's it about? And what did you think of it? So we're staying in 2023, eh? Yeah, yeah. This film is called Unwelcome. The director's John Wright. It premiered last year at a con or something, or yeah, some you know, festival, but it, it dropped in January and then again in March here in the States. So he initially had done a film called Grabbers in 2012. Anybody see that? No, but it's on I, my list. Okay, yeah. it's on my list too. Partially not because I love this movie, this this movie Unwelcome, but more because I I felt like this movie Grabbers got a lot of good scuttlebutt, and I was like, oh, I kind of want to check that out now. Let me let me do a little breakdown here. So the, the the movie is about this married couple, Maya and Jamie, who escape their urban nightmare, quote unquote, to the tranquility of rural Ireland, only to discover malevolent and murderous goblins lurking in the gnarled ancient wood at the foot of their new garden. So all of that sounds great. All to of me. those things are true, but the, the movie itself couldn't be further, further from that. Really. That's not the point of this movie. I mean, it's it, most of the movie is just kind of her and her husband kind of butting heads with this family that's doing work on their house. <laughs> and, the, <laughs> and so I'm not kidding. So the cast is, is Hannah John Kamen. You'd recognize her. She was in um, Ant-Man 2. She was the, the ghost character. Oh, yeah, she's been around. She's, she's been in a she's bunch of things. Yeah, she did a voice on Dark Crystal as well, which I loved that series. Hmm. Cole Meany is in this. My boy. Uh, you know, uh, the so, chief from Chief DS9. O'Brien. From, yeah. <laughs> chief O'Brien. And then Douglas Booth. I don't I don't recognize him, but he's the husband. Uh, Christian Narn, who's uh, Odar. Uh, Game of Thrones, and then I'm mm, okay, butchering yeah. that. A fair amount of the cast, I believe, is also in Grabbers. So it's kind of like director's favorite folks coming back again, playing different okay. characters, which I like, which is fun. Because I, I did see a little bit of the opening of Grabbers, and I was like, oh, some of these people are, are from Unwelcome. And I like when they, when you know, when director brings their, their cast over a little bit. It feels like a, feels like a theater troupe. Yeah, you know, I love all so so the 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 evil goblins in the forest are are the 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 red caps, right? So that that's based on like a you know, an an Irish lore, a folklore. And all of that stuff is really cool and and really done really well. But it's one of those movies that doesn't quite know I mean, we were talking about this before, like is it a comedy or is it a horror? Is it both? And I think the 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 best horror movies are the ones that walk that line and where where like beautifully, but this is just all over the place. Mm. It's all over the place. And the red caps show up 
so little in the film that anytime they show up, you're like, yes, yes, yes. But it really, I would, I, I, I could almost only say, just go watch like the last twenty minutes of this movie, <laughs> and you'll mm. get everything that you'll, you, you, that I would want you to watch. But yeah, it's, it was an interesting. Uh, so you really like Devon? Have you seen this movie? Uh, yeah, so I watched this today. Actually, oh, okay. uh, oh, I really? watched this. I watched this before the recording. Oh, um, wow. and, so am I uh, totally off? Or I, I really <laughs> liked it. it. <laughs> I, I didn't love it, but I really liked it. I was, uh, I was very surprised. I hadn't heard anything about it. Yeah, I do love Irish uh, folklore popping mm-hmm, up mm-hmm. in horror, especially in contemporary settings like this kind of, you know, new clashing with the past. So I like that the movie is kind of more uh, it plays into a, a subgenre that I've noticed has been like kind of growing the past like a couple of years. And it's this like kind of social anxiety horror to a degree where it's like you're watching people have these interactions trying to be polite they're trying to do the uh you know social norms on how to handle certain situations and uh certain movies have done that really well like shiva baby oh yeah but then speak no evil tried to do this and it did not work for me but i'm interested film yeah, sure. but I'm but I'm interested in this kind of subgenre, and I like that that leads into the the more creature uh, folklore aspect of it. Because yeah, it, the they talk about the 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 little creatures like in all the descriptions and everything, but the movie isn't about them uh, like and, at all. I, yeah, and I think <laughs> that 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 was where I think that's the disappointment, right? Like, I if I had just gone in completely blind and I didn't read a description or anything, or didn't look at the poster or any of that. I probably would have been like, oh, this is actually like interesting. It's not what I thought it was going to be at all. And, but, but again, I feel like once those creatures show up, I was like, oh man, I wish they just leaned into this more because I really love them. Yeah, and the way, they're... the way they shoot it is really cool. I, I don't, I'm not sure how they tackled that, but it really worked. Like very, it's like very fairy tale esque, which kind of like yeah. plays into, into the folklore a little bit. And I, I really liked it. Uh, kind of take using that folklore to like, also like just really explore these uh, very human feelings. This movie came out at the perfect time, right at the, the height of the uh, mother and daddy craze on Twitter right now. Oof. Where's he eat this movie up? The, the tweets already write themselves about it, <laughs> but it uh, does kind of uh, play a lot into these like, you know, gender role, uh, aspects of being a parent, but then also mm-hmm. the fears, and anxieties you have as a parent and things like that and the different angles and like what you're willing to do to protect your family. There's been kind of a little bit of fatigue about that recently as well. Like we just recorded our Evil Dead Rise and that was kind of one angle that we're just like, oh, do we always need a woman to be like struggling with her pregnancy in a horror movie? Like, yeah, that was it? a knock. I think we might have had two in our episode. Yeah, so, but I feel like this movie uh, at least does uh, add a lot of extra layers to it with the the dueling mentalities of the two families that are feuding. Um, I think it works very well. And um, and now I really need to watch Grabbers because, yeah, this is a very Irish movie. And the the premise of Grabbers is like they have to like defend these aliens and the only way they survive is to stay drunk. Okay, this now this is sounds like a, a can't miss. This is like a good luck to screw this up. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, very, very Irish movie. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the the lead dude is Richard Coyle from Coupling. Oh yeah, you know I'm talking about yeah, yeah, the real funny guy on coupling, right? Yeah, interesting. I watched the movie with my girlfriend and her parents, so it was very, it was all walks <laughs> <Okay>. of life <laughs> watching this. Well, it was right. really wild. Well, let me ask both of you this question yeah. since yeah. I, I did not watch it. So let me be the outside observer here. Do you think? I'll ask this question first. Do you think when he started to write this film, 
when John Wright and Mark Stay wrote this film. Do you think that they went at it just maybe wanting to focus on the, the domesticity of it all before thinking, well, it's going to be hard to get this movie made, but now if we add these goblins, maybe we have something here. Like, do, do you need the goblins to be in this movie for it to work? What do you think, Mac? I mean, if you don't have the goblins, it's just a very different movie in a drama. That, but I'd be interested in watching because because you, Yvonne's right. Like the the dynamic between the two families couldn't be more different, and the social anxiety thing is very interesting. I didn't really wasn't really looking at it that way, but now I mean, it's very apparent that that is absolutely there. You're probably so bummed out. But, You're like, Where are these goblins? You kept you kept talking. But over that's the, the thing. That's the thing that bugged me was that every time because maybe I'm just really big fan of the folklore and the and I read about the red caps and I kind of knew about this thing, so and they tease it a lot. And they talk about it a lot. And so I was just like waiting for this stuff to happen. And it just didn't happen enough for me. I just wasn't as invested in like the human element of the of the story. So maybe if it had just been that, it could have worked on its own. I don't know if, I mean, if it's just a red cap movie, I think that you're 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 treading gremlin territory, gremlin territory, because they are very like silly almost but in a way that I found really fun. <laughs> so I was kind of on board with that. Yeah. I, I, I don't know if there is a if enough story to, to center a, a movie around these red caps, other than it being yeah, like kind of going around causing mayhem. Red, red uh, they caps do, in New York. <laughs> they, they have a cool design. They are mischievous yeah. and kind of funny. Uh, I love the way they say bad bay. Uh, and so baby yes. is a uh, super funny. Uh, they, they, they're very interesting, but the, but at the same time, the story that he was trying to tell, I think does need them for like the way mm. that it wraps up at the end, no spoilers, but it's like, there's yeah. a moment where you think it ends and then there's like another 15 minutes. Ooh. Then it's like, Oh, okay. So this is kind of the way you're going to wrap it up. So I think they are needed for the story, but I think, uh, I feel like he like had this story about domesticity uh, and things like that, and then was like, okay, how do I spruce it up? And he's like, oh yeah, my my grandma used to tell me the story about this red caps, and then maybe kind of threw him in that way, maybe. Yeah, I, I, is there room for I, I a sequel for this you thing? What do you think? Say what? Is there, is there room, room for a sequel? sequel? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah there, they, there could they, be. <laughs> they, they they could, and I mean, and Irish folklore has some of the coolest, like little weird horror creatures and stuff. I remember, um, yeah. back in the day, and uh, when I was in the gifted program, push my glasses. Uh, <laughs> we, we we uh we would do this thing where we'd like spend an entire month like just like studying like everything about a country or whatever, and uh, we did Ireland and. And I remember I did a report on uh, the Banshees of Ireland. Like there's mm. like so many like cool, like little ghosty monster things that uh, that I really want to see pop up in like more Irish film, uh, Irish horror films. Isn't that I'm always strange here for that... more folklore and horror movies. So, I mean, this, this this still sounds fairly interesting to me, this film. I know Mac, you're a little soft on it, but. No, I want you to watch it if only because I love that you mentioned the way that they talk because, I, and I sent around that that little two second gif of the, of the one red cap saying, no, daddy, no. <laughs> uh, which I, 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 I really want to see that blow up as a, a meme and gif out there. But uh, yeah, I almost, I, I definitely want more people to watch it because then I can talk about all the, all that stuff, especially the red caps. Because I, again, I love the red caps. I would love to see them come back. You know what? Just have them come back in any movie. Just have them show up, just wreaking havoc in the background. They'll be back for Banshees of Inishirin. They'll be the. Like the, the red caps of Inishirin this next time. 
another oh, subversion yeah. on the old Irish folklore. Okay, well, let's move on to our next film here. This is another movie that, you know, again, I think it debuted at some film festival last year. Who gives a shit? It's a 2023 movie. And what is it, Devon? What do you have here? Yes, it's another one of those. Um, this was a Shutter exclusive, which uh, kind of tend to be mm-hmm. a mixed bag of like okay to pretty good. Yeah. I don't usually love them, but this one kind of went full in on on the weirdness, and that's a spoonful of sugar. Uh, this was uh, directed by Mercedes Bryce Morgan, and it uh, tells the story of uh, this uh, young gal who uh, she had just finished high school, but she's not going off to college yet because she wants to work a little bit. But she's very interested in children, and uh, she's also uh, interested in LSD uh, to treat her anxieties and PTSD and trauma and things like that. So she uh, takes a job as the nanny for this uh, couple. Uh, One is a famous writer, so they got a little bit of money, and then the other one's a carpenter. And they have a a son who is uh, nonverbal, he's mute. She is told that he has all these different diseases and like he has very specific allergies and all these different things. And But Millicent is uh, very enthusiastic to be up to a challenge and she uh, grows a relationship with this child. But then it ends up changing the dynamics uh, amongst uh, her and the wife and her and the husband. Kind of goes from this like hallucinatory coming of age movie to an erotic thriller and uh, it's huh. a it's a very very horny, weird, stylish movie that I really enjoyed. Have either of you guys seen it? I have not seen it. This is something though. I remember seeing. I feel like it was on the top row of Shutter for forever. Like I would constantly see that poster of like the micro dosing happening or whatever was going on. Great poster. Great yeah, it's poster. a great. It, it caught my eye several times. But I think like you, I'm very like hot and cold on Shutter originals or Shutter exclusives. I was planning on watching this, but I had to make a couple of decisions as, as to what to watch, and I and I had to cut it down. But I I do still plan on watching this because I also read this other. Tell me if this sentence checks out, Devon. This is the sentence I read too. This sounds like it's more or less the plot too. A disturbed babysitter experiences a sexual awakening while using LSD to treat a seemingly sick child from a family with dark secrets. Yes, I mean that is the more concise uh, description of it. It's but maybe a description of half of it. Because, like, it is about that, but then it kind of, I can't, I, okay, so this is a hard movie to talk about with spoilers. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a, this is a tough one because uh, uh, as most erotic thrillers, uh, this takes many, many twists. Mm. And I've been interested in seeing this kind of resurgence of the modern erotic thriller and uh, kind of uh, the way that we're approaching them now. And uh, this movie is just like very unabashed in uh, the kind of the the story that's telling about uh, human desires, you know, the things that we want, but then the things that we want people to think that we want and like the, mm. the perception that you uh, kind of put to yourself of, you know, this couple, they, they want to seem like the power couple and that everything's perfect and stuff, but then they all have these kind of different desires that surface as Millicent kind of seeps her way into this family. And I'm, I'm always a uh, big fan of those movies as well, like kind of the the quote unquote help wreaking havoc on a on a rich family, but it's sure. but it's very different here. the The coming of age sexual awakening part kind of takes a backseat as the movie gets darker, mm. but it's a it's a, it's a ride with some some twists and turns. We got lots of sex in it. The husband is like just so paper thin himbo that it's like very satisfying that he's just like <laughs> such a nothing man in this movie, but it plays into the story of the movie. Interesting. 
it's a it's a very it's just right up my alley it has a lot of very fun like a uh, kind of acid trip sequences but it's also like very sweet she has a very sweet relationship with this child i've seen people describe this character as esther from orphan but doing acid and oh my uh, God. it's it, it's kind of that <laughs> like the, I'm, I'm a big orphan first kill fan that was one of my favorite movies last year and uh, i thought that uh, was ple- a pleasant surprise I would agree. I also that is that really up there. I watched the first one last or yeah, the end of last year. And Orphan First Kill is like always the the next movie we're maybe gonna watch, and it just hasn't happened. Mac, I'm yet. telling you, again, I know I hear, good things. I hear good things. I gotta watch them watch both. Watch them yes. both. They're worth it. I I watched them both for the first time this past year, and I turned into Damn. an instant Esther stan. I am Team <laughs> Esther all the way. And if you like, and if anybody has liked Orphan First Kill, but but want it to be weirder and hornier, then this is kind of that. Like it gives you a lot of that, and it has a uh, end credit sequence uh, for for the ages. Well, this is oh, refreshing wow. to be honest with you. Not to well, who, who cares? I will say, like for instance, when Deep Water came out was two, I guess it was a year ago or so, and everybody was saying this is the return of the erotic thriller. And really, the only thing that happens is I guess she gives him a hand job in the car, right? I'm like. What are we what are we doing here? Are, are we just afraid to have sex on the screen anymore? Are are people afraid that they're going to be put off? Because I feel like the one thing when I was on Twitter in my old days, aka a few months ago, for a long time, the one thing I feel like the film community agrees with is let's bring back the erotic thriller, like not like the sanitized version, but let's bring it back. And from the way you were describing this, it sounds like they kind of do. We're we're yeah. we're getting there. There's there's been close. We're, okay. there's been steps because it kind of started off with a simple favor where we were kind of getting some of that vibes mm-hmm. and we're like okay okay and then um a movie came out a couple years ago that was one of my favorites called The Voyeurs. It's a uh, Amazon Prime oh, original yeah. with That's uh, Sydney Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney. Yes, yes. It is like that. Like felt like ripped straight out of the '90s. Like it really okay. had that energy to it, and it was so fun. The twists were insane, but there's a lot of sex in it. And but huh? like sex that not just to be there. Like it is sex that is like you know serving the narrative of the movie. Yeah, you can tell that you know they're shot more. They're shot more tastefully. Like these are like movies like with the voyeurs. They had like a you know intimacy coordinators and things yeah. like that. So it's like. You, you are still getting the, the sexiness that you want out of this movie, but it also doesn't feel sleazy. It's controlled. It's the controlled environment, but still yeah. the performances are selling it, right? You can still sell a sex scene. You yeah. can sell anything. And, and yeah. in this movie, uh, the sex scenes uh, start off like kind of, they start off erotic and then you start feeling gross about them as, as uh, the story progresses. So, but this is, huh. this is a, a, a good stride for the erotic thriller in my book. And it kind of leans a smidge more into the horror thrilling realm than other erotic thrillers. I feel like that's the erotic thriller way, right? It, like before that first sex scene, the anticip- for a good one at least, anticipation just builds and builds and usually it's that first scene that's the most charged and then like you said though it goes on this downward spiral where it becomes a little bit more uncomfortable for some reason Mm -hmm. as it progresses maybe some things are being revealed maybe they're doing some things that they shouldn't be doing this entire time i don't know mac have you heard about this movie before or is this the first time you've heard no it's the first time i heard about it and i was checking it out last night i was gonna watch that as well didn't didn't do it but i i and i'm i'm like i'm like both of you are i'm kind of uh, lukewarm on some of the shutter originals but sold now i mean i'll definitely check it out because like yeah i i agree i think the erotic thrill has been gone and uh i think no one has really known how to bring it back without people being upset yeah 
which it's difficult, right? I mean, like you said, like the, the, you have to have the coordinators, you have to have all this stuff. And I think there's a lot of filmmakers out there that are just scared to tackle the subject matter at all mm-hmm. because of that. So that's interesting. I'm, 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 and that's cool that it's out and that it's good and it's done well. But and I heard about the Voyeurs too, and I really wanted to watch that, and it's still on my watch list. So let's fire it up yeah, with, uh, have to, with your girlfriend. I'll, yeah, I'll, to, I'll, she... I'll put that. I'll we'll watch seriously. Both of them, we'll watch both of them at the same time. <laughs> watch watch the Voyeurs. Watch the Voyeurs with somebody. Like it is <laughs> such a fun ride. Like it there is. It is absolutely nice. insane. Cool. I, you know what's funny about seeing with the Shutter originals? Think about this. Though. I mean, the pressure that was put on the Shutter originals because I think two of the first five. What, were revenge and terrified yep which are both quite good right and then there was now since then though they've had a lot of great exclusives like well, when one cut of the dead and it, it's one of those things that's like a grab bag since they like sometimes produce them themselves but then mm-hmm. sometimes they're just acquisitions yep. uh so you kind of never know if it but it but you sometimes get it like because i i rarely love them like i'm always like usually i'll finish a show original i'm like that was good but it could have been this and this was exactly. like finally one of the ones that like went over the line so it's like i like when they you know acquire these films from like artier directors that kind of wouldn't get a release otherwise and I wonder if some of those originals are algorithm driven, like how Netflix originals are algorithm driven. You know, I wonder what what the story is with those produ- with the production studio for for Shutter. I do think that their documentaries, like Horror Noir, is great. Leap of Faith is great. And they've only done a couple real horror docs. I, I hope they they do more in the future. But mm-hmm. look, I just hope Shutter's around. I mean, they've with AMC. There's been a lot of issues going on with AMC and Shutter. So, knock on wood, because I do love some Shutter, but. Uh, all right. So far, so good. Now, I regret to tell you that, I, look, I don't know if Devon has seen this movie, but I have. And Mac is the one that will have to talk about it. So, Mac, we're going to go back in time now, much like this movie does. We're leaving the current year. We're going to go all the way back to 1992. Mac, what is this movie? And why, why did you want to talk about it? What is this movie? Okay. I'm talking about Waxwork 2. Lost in time. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, here Nobody we go. I've seen both. I have seen both. All right. So, okay. So, yeah. All right, Devon, have you seen both Waxwork films? I have not. I have not seen either Waxwork oh. films. I was like, I was like, you guys both picked sequels okay. to talk about. I'm try- I was okay, behind. I'm trying on. not. Okay. That's why there was no pressure. I'm not going to spoil anything. <laughs> well, give, the lot, Matt, give like the basic but, premise of, yeah, of so, Waxwork and Waxwork 2. There you go. Yeah. So, good, and good luck, might I add. <laughs> yeah, so waxwork is essentially four kids <laughs> go to College a, a waxwork museum. In the first one, David Warner is kind of like you know he's the the uh, curator of it, which just is a, is a big house on a street. It's not actually it's not actually like a museum somewhere. There are different waxwork rooms, essentially painting the picture of like a different story or. I'm trying to, I'm racking my brain. There was well, like, a, like, I just, I mean, there's like the a first werewolf. one. There's yeah, like a werewolf in a cabin. And, you know, I guess Warner goes to the links of saying these, all these things that you're seeing are actually based on some kind of reality. Right. And then of course, these things start coming to life and killing the people. And I will say the first one for me, I watched it with a group and it's so silly. And the cast is so weird. 
I, I actually had a pretty good time with it. But getting to Waxwork 2, I, I, so I got, uh, it's right now it's on Movie Sphere on Prime, right? And there was no commercials. So I was like, oh, awesome. I, I can't do, you know, four hours of watching something on Tubi. I watched <laughs> earlier, I watched Vampire Journals the other day and I chose not to talk about that, which is a spinoff of Subspecies, my favorite, Radu. But it took me like five hours to watch the movie because between other things that were happening that day and all the commercial breaks, I just couldn't get through it. Yeah. So I, I I picked this up to watch Waxwork 2 Lost in Time, which is a, a direct sequel. It was straight to video. It was a direct sequel to Waxwork. But this is where I started, started losing me. Essentially, th- th- I got to read the plot. Oh man, this isn't, this isn't the right one. I got it right see. here if you want me to, though, Mac. Can you just read? Yeah, read yeah. the plot because it, it's not the movie. <laughs> so we should also say it's the same writer and director from the first one, Anthony Hickox, yes. who's probably yes. most famous for directing Hellraiser 3, Hell on Earth, mm-hmm. which somehow came out the same year as Waxwork 2, Lost in Time, might I add. Oh. Uh, one was in theaters, one was not. <laughs> but maybe there was no <laughs> direct competition, at least initially. So here's the plot. Uh, Lovers. Ooh. This is not a rock thriller, unfortunately. Lovers, <laughs> Zach Galligan, Monica Schneer. Flee through centuries on a time trip of terror, and they show down with a demon lord. The difference between this and Waxwork is Waxwork, you kind of step into the exhibit and you go back in time, but then you can come back. This one, they're given kind of a it's like, a dial, like a dial that, yeah. that opens time doors, mm-hmm. and they, they which they walk through, but all they do is and Justin and I were kind of debated about this earlier. All they do is walk into essentially like cheaper versions of like uh, old horror movies like like they walk into like the haunting like 1963 yeah. haunting they walk into like what would be alien they walk into what's dawn of the dead there at the end dawn of the but dead right like, and we're really there, there's a good this. scene at the, there's it a good sounds scene great. at the very it end. sounds great but the but problem is, is that all these things didn't actually happen yeah that's the that's the question i they're have they're all based on movies so it's like what so first of all it totally walks away from the whole wax the idea of any kind of waxwork anything i don't understand why it's still called why it's why it's waxwork sequel except for the, the cast continues uh, zach gilgan i guess is the only person that continues and then it spends like 40 minutes on a store on mm. the one part of the story that is absolutely not interesting and not based on anything that you would know <laughs> it's like this medieval times story and I'm like, wait, you 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 you'd rather do this for 40 minutes than spend like 40 minutes in the haunting like setting, you know, like like there's things or in even there the that alien could setting, work. you know? Yes. And like that is funny. That 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 sequence is funny, but it's so short, right? Or just keep doing that. Just keep going. But I, I it felt like they ran out of money and they're like, well, we've got all this, we've got all these medieval <laughs> outfits and swords and stuff. Can we just stay here for 40 minutes? Uh it is it, I mean, I will say. It's not, that was the only time I really checked out of the film. I thought it was pretty, you know, it's entertaining. Like I, I was like, what am I watching? The comedy just falls flat. Oof. It is brutal. Well, here, can, I, let me, can I interject here? Here's the situation. Zach Galligan, <laughs> whom we all know from Gremlins. He's great. You know, he's yeah, Billy. Yeah. Great. You know, aloof guy. It, it, between this and, and Waxwork, they're trying to make him like the new Ash, you know? And, and, Bruce, and Bruce Campbell is in this movie. And that doesn't in help. The, his, the haunting it, sequence. Yeah. And that doesn't but, help oh. because Bruce Campbell is basically also doing a weak approximation of Ash in this movie. <laughs> so when you're doing it side by side, the original guy, it's even more apparent that you just don't quite have it. It's just like you said, Mac, it really 
just dies once they go back in time and just hang out that medieval area. I mean, I, I, I don't know why they didn't just keep jumping around. I know the budget might not have been there, but it's it's a real for me. It's a real slog, and a lot of people like love these movies. Mike Vanderbilt specifically at fellow Halloween, of course, uh, loves waxwork. I think this is a classic, but I also want to say I'm turning 40 this year. (laughs) Okay. Uh (laughs) And I watched this movie for the first time. If I watched this movie growing up as a kid, Mm. I, I, it's very possible. I would have been like, just enchanted by like the different going through the time portals and, the sword play and you know i i mean that i can i definitely understand people like enjoying this and then i i don't know i don't know it's not my kind of schlock <laughs> i guess well I mean, like, it, like, it, yeah go ahead sorry so i'm curious uh, i don't know if either one of you guys know but it sounds like is this like may does this feel like a case of they picked a different script for something else and then slapped the waxwork too you know, uh, and I, worked I, it I, in, or does it still it, feel? It's still somehow, even though it totally abandons the whole waxwork idea. Somehow, it still feels very much like actually this is no, this is just where this was always going. Okay, okay. so it's really kind of because they do a lot of the same because in the waxwork movie, when they're in the, when, it's not just that the waxwork situation comes to life; it's the whole scene almost comes to life, and they're mm-hmm. like all of a sudden they're like at a cabin and they have to deal with the werewolf there. Do you know what I mean? So it's like they are walking into these time portals or whatever, but I wish they had just said, Oh, just, you know, they're not time portals. You're just walking into like a fictional world, right? (laughs) It would have just all of a sudden been like so much more interesting if that was the case. Time travel is not really my bag. I'm not a big time travel movie person. Um, because it either gets too muddy or they just like uh, do the same shit. Like, why do seventy five percent of time travel movies go to medieval times? Like, always. Well, like, there's so I many time you, periods oh, to go to. You want to talk about muddy <laughs> time travel logic? I mean, this this movie <laughs> this specifically. Is the cake. I mean, this is the one. This is the disaster zone. But I was also doing some research on it, Mac, and I found I was like, how did this guy amass all this time? Because the first movie, especially, has got so many incredibly classic actors in it this one's got david carradine in it for three seconds like what is patrick mcnee's back again drew barrymore, drew barrymore is what? it turns out yeah, uh, it's wild here's this this guy is the ultimate nepo baby all right oh, his really? mother is ann Coates, who edited lawrence of arabia and the elephant man to name <laughs> but two movies and his father was douglas hickox who directed theater of blood with Vincent Price, and also worked on a number of, of British films leading up to that. So I feel like there were a lot of connections. He probably just grew up in the same, just watching his parents work as these other and famous can, actors. I'm, I think that that had a lot to do with it. You can tell because the cameos very much are just like, they were there one day and they they we threw them in the scene kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know, like especially the Drew Marymore thing. And I really would, there, there is a moment there's a section at the end that I think is actually really entertaining, but man, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it, it, again, it's that thing where you're like, why isn't this the whole movie? <laughs> you know? And again, maybe it was a, maybe it was a budget thing. I mean, the courtroom sequence. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No. The courtroom sequence. Listen, I'll, I'll put it this way. <laughs> this movie goes beyond homage because the very end, I'll just spoil this. I don't care. It <laughs> literally just rips off almost verbatim. The ending of back to the future part two in which some mysterious yeah. man comes up to the person 
hands them a a diary wrapped in like brown wrapping paper and says, we've been holding on for this for a very long time for you to, get, <laughs> to deliver to you exactly 200 years later. I was like, this is just back to, there's nothing endearing about this. It's just lazy. It's, it's, ugh. And it only came out maybe two years after Back to the Future Part Two, as a matter of fact. So it was just so the recency of it all. Anyway, it was also a hundred plus minutes, which was absolutely inexcusable. Yeah, for the there's movie. no reason for that. There's there's a good thirty minute medieval times section that you could just cut. So Devon, I think the bottom line is you can fire up Waxwork Two tonight and just skip Waxwork. Uh, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know if I'm completely sold. I might check out the first one because that kind of sounds a little bit uh, up my bag. I've seen the poster for that one like a few times, and like great poster uh, sounds like it. No, but you know, I'll, I'll fire up the first one and we'll see uh, uh, if I'm willing to take the plunge on the second one. I want right. to say the the poster for the first one misrepresents the movie, but True. I still think it's fun. Uh, that poster is like far better than the movie, in my opinion. <laughs> but the poster for the second one absolutely encapsulates <laughs> the second <laughs> film. It sadly does. It sadly does. All right, well, let's move on to the next movie here. This is actually uh, my selection here. And it's a little film that I like to call, because it's what it's called, Wreck 3 Genesis. Now, this is an extremely polarizing movie. It's obviously the third film in the Wreck franchise. Have either of you seen Wreck or any of the Wreck movies? I've seen Wreck. I've seen the first one. Okay. I have not Me seen too. I have not seen any of the sequels. I have seen the kill counts for them. I did kind of cheat a little bit. Oh, okay. Um, but sure. but but I have not but I've been wanting to actually finish out the like watch the like do a binge of this franchise. Well, years yeah. ago, Mac and I and some other people I think were at our, our friend Randall Colburn's and we were watching Wreck, and of course we were talking throughout the entire thing. But there were certain points there we would just get really quiet and be like, oh, why are we talking throughout this entire thing? So years later, I just sat down and watched it. And I think Wreck is is probably, I mean, it, it's my favorite found footage movie. I think Wreck is pretty incredible. Um, and the second one takes place much like the great Waxwork 2, Lost in Time. It takes place immediately after the first one. But it's blunted because now instead of this big mystery of just random people who are inhabiting this apartment building, not knowing what's going on and being quarantined. Now you've got like SWAT team members showing up and just blowing away the zombies, but they're using, I, who cares? Where's the, there's no, it's no longer scary basically. Right. The rec three takes place in the same universe. Paco Plaza directed it and co-wrote it. Who also directed and co-wrote the, uh, the first two films. Mm -hmm. takes place at a wedding reception. It's all in the same universe, but it's a brand new cast, and cast of characters. And I'll give, just give you the basic plot. So newlyweds watch their wedding reception descend into chaos and carnage when their guests become infected by a virus that turns them into hungry zombies. Okay, that sounds fun. But this movie has such a great twist about 20 minutes in. And I think that it's at that point that people are either all in or all out. And this is, I know this movie is over 10 years old, but this is a case I don't want to blow this. I actually don't want to blow what the twist is because for me, it kind of makes the movie. It sure. opens it up in a way that the first two were not able to be open, honestly. It just, you're able to do a lot more with what they do. And the tone and the filming changes drastically. It's also pretty funny. Like the jokes land in a way that maybe they don't land in something like 
let me think about this. Uh, you know, Waxwork 2 Lost in Time, for example. You know, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't quite do that. I still have not seen the fourth movie, but from what I heard, it kind of goes back to the plot of the first two. And by the end of the second one, I was done. But this one kind of rejuvenated my love for this, whatever this franchise is trying to be. And yeah, I really highly recommend it. I definitely recommend it. The second one's still pretty good because, again, the location of this apartment is just, they struck gold. Like you could hang out there for a long time and, and really freak mm-hmm. people out. You know what I mean? But the, what they do with the third one, it's kind of like, you know, do you want more of the same or do you want to see something different? And I think a lot of time, and I understand that there's a safety and a relief of having kind of the same thing fed to you. But I was, it was like a welcome reprieve, this third one. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. So that's my major recommendation there. Well, found footage is just difficult in general it is. I, to, to keep doing found footage films and keep the suspense there or create new suspense. Yep. I, I think it's really hard. Now I haven't seen all the paranormal activity movies. That's kind of a different beast though. You know what I mean? It's not like all one take or something or one night, but yeah. So I, I'm interested to see three. I, I mean, I'm going to watch two, two kind of just sounds like aliens, right? like, they're like, okay, now we've got, Honestly, a squad. we've got, a, a good we've got the Marines going in, but aliens is obviously much better than Rick. Well, yeah. But I do want to see it and then see three. But yeah, from what I've heard of three, yeah, it sounds it sounds very polarizing. So I'm I wonder where I would land on that. Yeah, I'm very curious if either yeah. two of you would think about this. It has me at a it has me at a crossroads because mm-hmm. I love found footage, but I dislike zombie movies like ah. quite a bit. It's one of my like kind of least favorite. So I mean, I've seen Wreck and I like it quite a bit. I like mm-hmm. the setup of it and just knowing the the background of like kind of how they connect these. I think it's like. Uh, they like co-directed like the first one or two, and then they like kind of took turns with three and four. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, think like right. four. I think like four is like in an airport or something. So I'm intrigued. <laughs> so I like seeing the way that franchises like unfold in that kind of way, especially like kind of when you get some creative continuity behind the camera. You know, that's what I love the Paranormal Activity franchise. I think it's really great in the way that it like. Uh, takes starts off from this very small thing and then ends up with cults and superpowers and 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 demons and like everything <laughs> yeah. it's just like wait what so it's like i like uh seeing franchises like unfold in a like organic way like that so i'm i'm gonna give uh the rest of these movies a watch yeah i mean don't get me wrong look i'm telling you the third one especially is quite the zombie movie but as somebody who does like the really great zombie movies i've i've become quite exhausted by the subgenre but this one I was just totally, I was back in. I was back in for at least, you know, another 80 minutes or so. And I maybe I'm checked out again at this point. I'm not sure. But so would you say like Paranormal Activity, is that maybe your favorite found footage movie or just maybe your favorite found footage series overall, Devon? I would say found footage series because, again, I, I do like the way that it uh, all ties in and they kind of mix in different subgenres throughout. I don't know if it'd be my favorite found footage overall, that one. Uh, I mean, Grave Encounters is up there. Uh, that's, that's a fun a kinda, one. Yeah, that's a that's, fun one. That's a that's a hoot and a holler of a movie right there. And I love uh, I love both creep movies. Uh, I have a, I love mm. found footage. Like I I could go on and on about found footage, but I, I, Grave Encounters is probably up there as my favorite. That really is a that's a patient one too. You know that that does let the tension build. That at least I've, I've never seen the second Grave Encounters, but that first one is uh, is is quite effective. Mac, what about you? I feel like we've never talked uh, about this in our lives. But probably <laughs> Diary, Diary of the Dead. Oh, God. Uh, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's brutal. 
No, you know, I, 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 I like all those. I think the first paranormal activity is actually really good. Uh, I, I, I've yet to dive into the rest of it. Um, I think I've seen two as well, but <laughs> three is the best. The be- oh, then I, I have that. that on the dock. So yeah, I'm, 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 I'm definitely going to return to it. I want to finish it. I was thinking like Hell House LLC. Oh, I yeah. actually was surprised by that. I like that a lot. Horror, horror adjacent. Uh, I think District Nine sure. is really good. Yeah. Ah, a somber finish to the absolutely outstandingly crazy Wreck Three. All right. Well, Devon, let's get on to your classic film that you saw for the first time so this is the first time you saw this movie and so what oh, is the man. movie and and it's it's an older film it's amazing to say that's an older film but it really is an older film at this point so yeah tell us a little bit about the movie and why you decided you want to talk about it. yeah so um i've been uh recently figuring out that brian de palma is like one of my favorite filmmakers i'm kind of slowly working my way through his filmography and just I'm always surprised I kind of I knew him I always knew him like that he did Scarface and I just kind of always associated him with like crime and mafia and I don't like those movies so I guess I kind of like avoided the rest of his movies for Hmm. some reason but then I'm like oh no he's like this like weirdo like kind of pervy uh you know like noir uh kind of guy definitely uh, is a uh, is a uh, super fun so like i'm i've been and obviously i love carrie as well but so i like seeing uh the the weird dark side of uh de palma's filmography so i was absolutely delighted by 1981's blowout uh starring john travolta and uh nancy allen and john lithgow and man this thing is just uh, like first time watch like in my top 50 all time. And mm. I feel like the more I watch this movie, it's going to like kind of climb up that list. Like I was enthralled by this movie. It is stars John Travolta as Jack Terry. He's a uh, sound engineer for like, uh, for B movies. So uh, we kind of get some meta-ness with the intro, which is super fun. Um, and uh, he um, is out uh, capturing some stray sounds, uh, you know, for his library. And uh, he uh, witnesses a car accident. But was it just a car accident? And it takes him uh, down this uh, conspiracy theory um, as he uh, befriends um, one of the people that survived the car accident, trying to unfold the story of what truly happened, but then also protect her as a, a key witness in this uh, in this uh, entangled conspiracy. And it's it's just uh it's so it's so cool in the way that like you know we talk a lot about De Palma and his voyeurism mm-hmm. in a lot of his films um but we uh kind of uh, don't talk about his like uh, uh fascination with perception as well and like uh kind of controlling the narrative of what people are seeing and hearing and obviously mm-hmm. he loves that because that's what directors do but at the same time he likes uh adding like kind of another layer into that so um and that's what kind of what the story tackles a lot of of like you know the perception of this story and like not wanting certain stories to get out and uh the way that it just like kind of goes along in like kind of the the noir vibe of you know Jack Terry is just this average guy and he's thrust into this you know big situation um just you know by happenstance and like you know and the choices he makes to kind of go deeper and deeper into it and uh, the the filmmaking is just absolutely incredible. There's some really great camera work shots, you know, his uh, steady cam following shots and things like that. The, the finale has just some of the most gorgeous shots I've ever seen. I absolutely love how dramatic this movie is. Mm-hmm. You know, sure. very New York, uh, you know, has like that Americana kind of feel to it as well. A little bit sleazy. You have a, a nice little love story going on that like, 
yeah, maybe it's a little paper thin, but you buy their chemistry. They're really great together. And uh, and John Lithgow, given uh, the villain performance in this, is such a fucking weirdo in this movie, and yeah. I loved it. So this uh, this movie like rewired my brain. <laughs> mm. Lithgow, there's like a, a a ten years period there where he was just doing these really wild performances uh, as a villain. Yeah, yeah, Blowout, Buckaroo Bonsai. And then later, another De Palma movie, Raising Kane, which has its own fascinating production history. Ricochet? Oh, Ricochet. Oh, Ricochet. He's on another level <laughs> in terms wild. of the insanity. That's a that's yeah. a crazy 90s movie with Denzel. It's, it's a fun one, though. This is the movie that even Tarantino said, I think it's like one of his top three favorite movies. And this is actually what got Travolta the job for Pulp Fiction. And I was re-watching it. And I might like some other Travolta movies more. It's possible. But I was watching and thinking, is this John Travolta's best performance? What do you think, Devon? If you're, you know, you're a big fan of this movie now, do you think that's there's an argument to be made? This might be his best I mean, performance. I mean, I don't know if it. I mean, it's up there for sure. I'm not sure if I would say it's his like best because he doesn't have like a lot of like big showy moments. I mean, he yeah. does have he does have a few dramatic moments which are great. And I think he's really great, but I feel like he's just he's just so well utilized in this movie. Like yeah. the look of his character, uh, you know, his job, the way he's wrapped up in all this, he serves the movie and the character like very well. That he like blends in super well. Like even though you watch this now with hindsight and you're like, Oh, that's this John Travolta. John Travolta but like, yeah. In 81, you know, he was, you know, he was known, but he still wasn't like a big star at the time. So it's like, uh, you know, he just like kind of very seamlessly like fits into the movie very well and like serves the purpose of it really well. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I would easily say in his top three performances, but I mean, this might be one of the best like movies he's been a part of, like just as like being a movie movie. And what's ironic about that is it kind of was the beginning of of what kind of killed the rest of his 80s because the movie was, real, was well received but did not do great at the box office. It was a disappointment at the time. This is definitely a movie that came back around. People were like, well, like, like the Blade Runners of the world of the early 80s. Like, did people just miss this or something? What happened here? But I think about him in this movie and you said the utilization of him is, is really well. He kind of just feels like a normal guy. And when you think about what he did before this with, you know, Greece, he's like the leader of this cool gang. It's a big musical. Saturday Night Fever, he's like this dance god, right? And even way back with like Welcome Back Cotter, he's like the class cut up. Everybody loves him. He's, he's the hunk. But this is the first time he just kind of plays it absolutely normal. And I think he's still young enough to be able to get away with it. And then you add that to the chemistry he has with nancy allen's character which is funny because they were also a couple in carrie but they were a totally toxic couple yeah in that movie, oh, right? yeah. yeah totally toxic i think also this movie you know again de palma's known for the, the split screens the deep focus and everything else the visuals right i find it funny though that this movie is literally all about the sound yeah and, yeah. and i wonder if that was also a direct response because it's based on um blow up Michelangelo Antonioni movie and it's about somebody who accidentally catches a crime on camera so that easily could have been something De Palma could have run with right he could have just said oh, oh yeah I'm a, I'm a master visualist I mean but that I love sounds, the fact that he subverted that that sounds about right that sounds like a De Palma thing that's like right? oh I, I'm all I'm all looks I'm all aesthetic like here I'll give you all the sound how about that and um, exactly it's like, <laughs> it's like fuck you I'll do sound instead we think about that but Matt <laughs> 
Mac, have you seen this? Have I haven't this? seen this. I, I haven't seen it. I, this is funny. I was just talking about this with Justin earlier. I thought I I really wanted to watch all these, <laughs> these movies, but for our, the first episode, we y- y'all really didn't watch or, or I know, see just, any other so films. Happened. So now I'm yeah. like, man, going forward, I think I'm going to make a point to check it out. Well, I think the purpose of this series also is not to ex- well, we're not expecting everybody to have seen these movies. I think we're trying to say either check them out or hey, you know run for the hills when it comes to some of these movies. But what else makes the the noir for me in this movie specifically is, is that the Pino Dinaggio score, which you mentioned earlier. Oh. And this is another example, Devon also too. I, I, I don't want to spoil the ending of this movie because the ending of this movie also really, really makes the movie in a lot of ways and says a lot about not to tease this and not reveal it and then give out these broad themes, but you know, about, government about trust about getting away with things about not getting away with things and about what do you do how do you accept that and how do you move on are you able to move on and if all of these bullet points i'm giving don't pique your interest out there i don't know what to tell you it's it's a good movie yeah it's peaked mine like i said the score is terrific too and even though it is all about sound the visuals are still really great in this movie it's also a movie about movie making in mm-hmm. some ways, you know, and I also found curious that I think Funhouse came out the same year, and both movies open with a slasher movie within another movie. I think I'm right on this. I think that this is these are both 1981. That's a hey, little IMDb trivia, maybe out there for you. Also, the composer for this uh, has a tie-in to this season because he composed the score to Seed of Chucky. <laughs> That is insane to me. Whoa. That, that, yeah, that's... I remember seeing that. <laughs> to be that. fair, it I, looks like he's composed a ton of stuff. But that's... That, what yes, a what but, a range there. Blowout and Sea of Chucky. Sea uh, of Chucky, not in the Criterion collection, but uh, Blowout not, is. N- not yet. Uh, not yet, of course. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, not until we're done do, with like, it. They do like a DiNaggio section, and it's just like, you know, Carrie and Dress to Kill and Seed of Chucky. They couldn't get the rights to Blowout, but God bless... But you know he's a, he was incredible. He's a composer too, though I have to say. Uh, check out Blowout. These I think Blowout's actually on HBO right now. If you're listening yes. to this, yes, uh, it's so on. There you go. It's on HBO. It's on Criterion Channel to stream. Um, yeah, I, I like it was like one of those movies. Like I watched it and then thought about it for like a month straight. Just like the close-ups, the colors. Ah, this is it's so good. And the holiday in question, by the way, is fake. There is no Liberty Day. Did you know that? Yeah, that's not, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm in the mindset that all holidays at this point are just made up. Are fake. Like, <laughs> yeah, only, all... only like six holidays are like set in stone. I, like, I feel like every day I look on Instagram, it's International Bloody de Blah Day. Like, yeah, no, holidays, they're, they're like, a did scam. Did we just have it two months ago? Yeah. Maybe holidays are Hallmark, a scam. You know? I, I agree. I, but please, everybody out there, remember to celebrate my birthday and send as many gifts <laughs> as humanly possible. All right. Well, folks, this has been a terrific episode. Uh, that does do it for this episode of Now Showing by the Halloweenies. But for the rest of May, we're just getting started. You know, we visited our old friends, our good old friends, Scream and Evil Dead. Over the past couple months, we are returning to our favorite good guy, Doll Chucky, as we continue our year-long coverage of the Child's Play series with an episode on everybody's favorite, Child's Play 3. On this <laughs> main feed, we'll also be revealing our favorite needle drops from the Scream franchise. And over on our Patreon, which you can find at patreon.com slash Halloweeniespod, 
we'll be doing an uh, audio commentary for the 1988 remake of The Blob, which is terrific, as well as continuing our Fortune and Glory Indiana Jones series coverage with a look at one of the greatest lies of all time, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, which may be the most rewatchable entry for me. Devon, what do you have going over uh, on your pod this, this month? Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a, a nice to kind of have one of those sit around, drink some beers, and and say what you're watching lately. I oh, really, you I really enjoyed it. that. Oh, you said it, and, and yeah. not three hours of intense coverage either. It's <laughs> always very nice to shoot the shit for once. Yeah, it's <laughs> nice a little shake up. Uh, you can Absolutely. find me on uh, my podcast, Spectre Cinema Club. I host that with uh, my buddy Gary McDowell. Every month, we pick a different theme and then break down uh, films by their subgenres within. Uh, so we just wrapped up uh, our Evil Dead coverage. We had uh, done the films about a year and a half ago, and then we did Ash vs. Evil Dead and Evil Dead yeah. Rise this past month. Uh, so that was a good time. And then we are heading into uh, May doing some remake comparisons uh, mm. that are always fun to do. And then uh, Pride Month, we're going to be doing a celebration of camp horror. So uh, we got Ooh. some uh, exciting stuff coming over there on the podcast. So uh, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spectre Cinema. New episodes every Tuesday on all podcast platforms. And you can find me on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at underscore Daddy Disco, as well as on uh, Popping Up on the Pod and Pendulum podcast. I uh, did a few Purge episodes, doing the collector movies over there. So, so yeah, I'm around. That's great. And yeah, Mike Snooney does the uh, Pod and the Pendulum. Mike's been on a couple Halloweenies episodes, maybe more infamously, he was on the Jason Goes to Hell episode, in which he and uh, Vanderbilt tried to convince me that it's one of the best Friday 13th films. Did they succeed? I don't remember. You have to go back and re-listen to that episode. <laughs> We've done a lot of stuff since then, folks. But Devon, thanks again for having us on. We'll have you back, or I should say, thanks for joining us, but we'll definitely have you back on sometime in the near future. Thanks again. Folks, I'm afraid the curtain is closing for now, showing the lights on the marquee have shut off. We hope you'll come back again soon. But unfortunately for now, this is the end, friend. This is the end of our show, for now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.